This podcast contains strong language, adult themes, and occasional obscure movie references. Listener's discretion is advised. This episode is brought to you by Romans in the Fillmore, the nightclub of choice for all the brothers, where party goes on non-stop 48 hours a day. Romans, where you can do anything you feel like doing, because when the boys are back in town, there ain't no fooling around. See you at Romans in the Fillmore. After a daring prison escape, unhinged killer and convicted robber Albert Gantz and his equally unstable partner Billy Bear go on a murderous rampage through the streets of San Francisco to reclaim the money from a previous heist, money that Gantz's partners in crime ran off with, leaving Gantz to take the fall. Meanwhile, grumpy, hard-boiled detective Jack Cates and two of his colleagues are responding to a seemingly banal case of a stolen credit card at a sleazy hotel. Unbeknownst to them, Gantz and Billy Bear are at the same hotel and a massive shootout erupts where Gantz guns down Jack's colleagues in cold blood. Now, pissed off and even grumpier, Jack wants payback, so he enlists the help of one of Gantz's former partners, Reggie Hammond, a con artist himself serving time for a lesser crime and who also has a score to settle. But this dysfunctional duo only have 48 hours to catch Gantz before he disappears and Reggie has to go back to prison. Featuring the loudmouth on-screen debut of Eddie Murphy as Richie Hammond, a scowling and growling Nick Nolte as Jack Cates, and self-assured writing and direction by Walter Hill, 48 Hours is a heavy-hitting 80s noir that's hailed by many as the first of the body cop movies. Can this odd couple of tough cop and fast-talking conman put aside their differences and work together? Will Eddie Murphy manage to perfect his signature laugh before the end of the movie? How many cigarettes does Nick Nolte get through in 48 Hours? Does composer James Horner love his steel drums a bit too much? And is there really a flimsy connection between 48 Hours and James Bond? We are the last action heroes, and we'll be discussing all this and more in this episode, which we promise will not take 48 hours to finish. Ah, steel drums, eh? Reminds Gotta me of com- Commando. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that shit's got groove. <laughs> yeah. I think um, we should, for a future podcast, we should record our faces as we do the intro because we do tend to pick some really good music and we really do get into the groove here, man. <laughs> you know? And again, I think thanks to a brilliant soundtrack, a score from uh, the late, great James Horner here. Right, so, um, Steel Drums, we will be talking about them uh, later on. Hello there, and thank you for joining us, your last action heroes, for another trip down the cinematic memory lane. Today, we travel back to 1982 San Francisco to join Nick Nolte and Eddie Murphy in 48 Hours, a hard-hitting action comedy directed by Walter Hill, which not only introduced us to Eddie Murphy, but also officially launched the concept of the Body Cop movie. I'm your host for this episode, and I will henceforth be known as hard-boiled, grumpy detective Jack Spur Cates. (laughs) <laughs> and with me in my battered old light blue Cadillac convertible is my loud mouth, fast talking con man of a convict partner, Leon G. Hammond. <laughs> <laughs> loud mouth. <laughs> and yes, we're on a manhunt for convicted podcaster Albert Dance. 
Hey, look at the bad guy. And his unhinged <laughs> partner in opinions, Billy Bjorn. Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> this was pretty much a given for me. This was, was pretty much my, my name like... means uh, bear. So <laughs> <laughs> I was actually very, I was actually very, very proud uh, when I came up with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. Also, a big shout out to our fifth hero, Henrik, uh, who does all our edits and makes us sound so much better than we do in um, in real life. So thank you very much, Henrik. Um, you're doing a bang up job, and um, yeah, we can't wait to see what you do uh, with this podcast uh, episode here. Or hear it. Or hear it, yeah. <laughs> so, before we kick the Cadillac in gear, let's welcome all listeners, new and old as well. Uh, we're really glad to have you with us. Um, and if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review and a good rating on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever else you get your podcast fix. And also, feel free to get in touch with us. We're on Twitter at TL, action, uh, TL underscore Action Heroes or on Instagram at The Last Action Heroes. Um, right. Onto the show. Now, as always, we'd love to have 48 hours to talk about this movie, but sadly we don't, as we also have lives. So as always, we'll be selecting a few key scenes and topics to focus on. And as always, we'll be spoiling the heck out of this movie. So if you haven't seen it and you want to, now is the time to switch off, although we would actually much prefer like if you just stayed. So here we go. <laughs> yeah, Let's please do... don't switch off. Yeah, please don't switch <laughs> off. Uh, so here we go. Let's do a quick round the microphones first before we dive in. So uh, yeah, guys, what do you think of the movie? Had any of you seen this before? Dan, I think this was the first time that you watched it. Yeah, so I knew of the film, um, but I've never actually seen it. Um, so going into it, I, I kind of wasn't sure what to expect. And obviously having Eddie Murphy in it, you know, I've seen Eddie Murphy films, you know, he usually tends to be kind of the central point of the film, he kind of leads the whole thing. Um, and for better or worse, you know, there's kind of a formula to his films nowadays. Mm. Um, so that's kind of what I was expecting going in, but this was his first film. Uh, and although he's one of the main duo, he doesn't turn up in the film for like 25 minutes. And I didn't also feel that the film was like as balls out, funny as I was expecting mm -hmm. it to be. It's got a really dark, gritty edge to it, which I completely did not expect uh, at all. So I was really pleasantly surprised by the film and that he didn't kind of um, take ownership ownership of it so much, if you get what I mean. You know, there's the, the city itself is a character, you know, there's the, the, the villains are characters in their own right. And, you know, Cates is, uh, you know, leading half that film as well. So he doesn't kind of uh, take over everything, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, based on what you were saying, um, we we talk about the the buddy cop movie, and I'm I'm not really a massive fan of buddy cop movies because they, similarly to like you were saying, they they sort of have this this comedic formula as well, which I'm not a massive fan of. Mm. So then I was actually pleasantly surprised with this that I'd seen bits and pieces previously, but never sat to watch the whole thing. That I liked that it wasn't that silly, funny sort of ha 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 buddy cop movie, and actually it was this quite hard hitting, nasty sort of downtrodden yeah. city crime drama. Yeah, lots of fun. Yeah. And on the subject of buddy comedy as well, I mean, like, as you say, Leon, you know, buddy comedies are usually quite funny. You know, one of the flagpoles or, the, you know, the, the essential things of a buddy cop movie is the, the differences between the characters tend to be played for comedic effect, whereas in this, it's a very racially charged film. That aspect of it creates a fucking gulf between these two characters yeah. as opposed mm. to being a comedic sort of thing. And everyone's a shithead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, basically. Everyone's yeah. a bad person in this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I am uh, agreeing uh, with you guys uh, as well. Uh, like, I remember seeing this a long time ago, and I was probably too young when I watched it the first time. And I do remember this as being, like you say, very dark and very gritty, and um, it still is uh, very much. And um, 
the, the fact that it's Eddie Murphy and, you know, he was known as sort of a, uh, like at the time he was like known as a quite an edgy stand-up, um, stand-up comedian. So you would have thought that he would have, you know, brought a little bit more sort of comedy to it. But the comedy is actually sort of quite light. Like there are some funny scenes in there and the play oh, yeah. between uh, Nick Nolte as Jack Cates and uh, and Eddie Murphy as Reggie Hammond, I think is really good. Like they two, the, like the two, they really bounce well off each other. Um, but it's a lot darker and grimier than I actually uh, remembered it. So, uh, um, so yeah, and I'm sure we get into that um, a lot more. How fucking grumpy is Nick Nolte in this movie series? I know. Like, <laughs> all the grumpiness. <laughs> all the grumpiness. Yeah. <laughs> so absolutely. Like, even the way he talks, it's just like very grumpy and like guttural kind of yeah like, you know he's like his voice is just amazing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it really is i mean god knows how much whiskey and cigarettes he gets through in the day um, i mean does. he survives on whiskey and cigarettes in he this does. film he does he, he puts him do. in his coffee in the morning first thing before he goes to work like yeah, exactly <laughs> it's amazing and then just the first thing he says is like you know you know he's pouring in the you know you're pouring in the whiskey and saying there's going to be a really crummy day and it's like well that well of course it is with that attitude man <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah. positive thinking mate he started <laughs> it with whiskey <laughs> and, you know, I mean, what has he got to complain about? You know, he's got a beautiful girlfriend. He drives a, you know, uh, was it a Cadillac convertible? Yeah. You know, and he's a ragtop man. Yeah, exactly. He's a ragtop. <laughs> Go, going back to that comedy thing you said a minute ago, um, I think I'd read somewhere that they were a bit disappointed that they bought Eddie Murphy in, who was this sort of Saturday Night Live stand-up, and they were a bit disappointed that he wasn't actually being that funny. Hmm. I, I think that's a good thing. I'm not yeah. sure that having this this guy forcing punchlines and jokes into every conversation would have worked like i don't know yeah yeah i mean i didn't really get many jokes in it at all but i good <laughs> good <laughs> i mean on the subject of eddie murphy i mean i thought i thought his performance for his first film performance he was he fucking killed it man like his he balances his comedy and you know his drama so well in this film for you know it was yeah, I thought his performance was great. I think it was a very gutsy approach that he had to the role and also yeah. just casting him uh, within that role because, yes, like Reggie Hammond is a con man. He is a ladies' man. You know, he's a smooth talker, and but he's also got a hard edge to it. And um, when, you know, when him and Jack Cates, they meet for the first time, we'll get into that um, a little bit later. You know, he's full of attitude. You know, there's no kind of, you know, quick, you know, um, uh, what's the word? Um, quick uh, funny jokes or anything like that you know he's dead on full on serious and you know he yeah. spots an opportunity to get back at uh, Gantz um, as well you get There's the impression that his criminal career is built on almost survival he knows when to be the tough man he knows when to yeah. shut the fuck up he's street yeah. wise isn't he yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say as well There's. I, I don't want to ruin it because we will talk, talk about the scene later but there's a, the, the scene where he goes into the bar and sort of takes charge for a young actor and this is their first feature film he just owns that set i mean the dude is surrounded yeah. in extras you know he's center stage and it must have been massively intimidating yeah and he just commands it he commands the screen you're yeah. completely captivated by this young guy completely so a little trivia on that scene that they actually saved that scene until last because they wanted him to kind of build his confidence i guess yeah. with you're making a film so when he finally got to that film yeah like you say he he owned it and not just in terms of the, the set but his presence like even watching it as an audience member you are just absolutely captivated by what he is doing he just completely owns that scene it's incredible mm. i think one uh, sort of final comment uh, before we move on and we'll have plenty of time to and plenty of opportunity to discuss uh, eddie murphy and his approach here later but i think it really shows really like early on just 
you know, he's actually a really good actor, you know. I mean, mm. for this to be his first movie and to, like you say, own particularly that scene so well, it's not something, I mean, we we speak from better experience having just come off Masters of the Universe, right? <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. um, uh, and for Eddie Murphy to just really nail it in such an iconic role, I think it's just, you know, just really speaks volume. Um, and it's yeah. a bit of a shame that he hasn't, he doesn't really seem to have sort of, sort of been keeping that going um, um, in later years. But yeah, anyway. It's very like he kind of fell into a formula. Yeah, exactly. A, a very little derail, right? A film that I think he's fucking brilliant in and super underrated. I can't remember what it's called. What's the one with him and Steve Martin where he plays that kid? They're making the film. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's like you this really geeky guy with like um, rails and he like plays bar, teeth. He plays like... Bowfinger, yeah, and he plays like the the huge Hollywood actor, and also plays the like dorky cousin. Dorky cousin, Eddie, he's fucking brilliant in that film. Yeah, you know that's not the film we're talking about, but Eddie Murphy is absolutely brilliant in that. Go and check it out. Maybe we should actually cover that at some point, you know, because yeah. because isn't that whole Bowfinger supposed to be like an action movie star or something like that? And yeah. uh, this low budget director is trying to make a movie with without him noticing. <laughs> that's just a brilliant idea, right? Anyway, let's uh, let's move it on a little bit. So. Uh, our first topic of the day is the characters. We sort of touched upon them briefly now. So uh, I actually want to start a, us a little bit in chronological order and talk about uh, as they get in uh, as they get introduced uh, because we sort of have two key um, sort of dynamic duos here. The first one is Albert Gantz, played by James Ramar, and Billy Bear, played by Sonia Lantham, another. Uh, another friend of this podcast. He was also in Predator and uh, quite a little bit of an infamous uh, Hollywood legend uh, in his own right. But they are actually the first two characters that are introduced um, in the opening scene. So yeah, let's uh, let's spend a few minutes uh, with them. So Albert Gans and Billy Bear, uh, what do we think? I can't believe Sonny Landon is called Billy again. This is like the third <laughs> or fourth film he's called Billy. It's like he can't remember any of the names, so they just call him Billy. <laughs> <It's called> Billy. <laughs> I wonder if they're like, oh, we really want you in our film, Sonny. He's like, I'll be called Billy. Yeah. Like, no, no, we've got you in as this character. And he's like, no, no, I'm Billy. <laughs> he wrote and directed a film later in, in his career, and he the lead character is called Billy, and he took that role. He even wrote it for himself. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's so hilarious. Just Billy. <laughs> um, so Albert Gans, James Remar, mm. um, Ajax from the Warriors, yes. also with Walter Hill. Um, I thought I think he's great, man. I want to watch yeah. more films with this guy. He, mm. He's I don't know something about him. He just plays a good bad dude. Yeah, he has that sort of like all this like anger and rage. Just they just keep just bottled up like under the surface. Like like you can see that he's you know he's ready to explode at any given time, right? And yeah, and yeah. also just the presence like James Ramar's presence. I think is just brilliant you know the way he carries himself his hair is uh, i don't know his attitude and uh, just his voice he's got this lovely raspy yeah. voice uh, you know well. in this film um as it goes on he he gets more like um like disheveled yeah like he's losing it yeah. he's a real, I read, I read really villainous he, he intentionally uh sleep depraved himself to to get into the role so like he yeah yeah, <laughs> shows. yeah. method method, yeah, method actor. Yeah. But he's completely unhinged in this movie. Like he's, he's like just he just wants to kill cops, yeah. and you know, you you don't really see his motivation though. Like what, like well, just... I think the problem is he's totally one dimensional. Yeah. If there is a negative about this guy, he's purely there to shoot guns and be bad. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Like there is no motivation really. He's just a bad dude. He wants the money and he's going to shoot people. Yeah, yeah, 
Yep. Yeah, he. I mean, he wants chaos uh, and money, and then he will use chaos in order to get to that money, uh, right? And you know, like everyone and everything is collateral damage, uh, really. Um, Something I noticed about him as well is I think he might shop at the uh, the same clothing store as Bennett because he seemed to be a fan <laughs> of the old crochet vest. <laughs> I was about someone to say. was going to say this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That is crocheted vest. Man. Oh my god! And he keeps on wearing it in every single scene. Maybe it's like Walter Hill who who's like picking the costumes or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In this, he's also buddied up with um Billy Bear, any Sonny Landham. Yeah. Who, in this film, like he's just the muscle. He's you the know, muscle. They refer to him as the Indian, and he mm. doesn't do anything other than just be the muscle. Really. Was this early in his? Career? This was early in uh, early in he his career. Yeah. Um, so I think by Predator, he's sort of gotten a little bit more, I don't know, comfortable Big. as an actor. He's gotten a little bit bigger, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. And, uh, uh, you know, was actually, you know, he actually got more lines to um, to actually say. But I think, right, just so Billy Bear isn't really given much to say, but he, no. but just the presence he has. Uh, just, he's still scary. He's still mm. scary, yeah. And I think there's his... Uh, um, so the movie starts um, and he arrives in this uh, pickup truck uh, where these prisoners are, well, are they laying railway or something like that. And yeah, he's dressed in like, like je- jeans and a cowboy um, a denim jacket and a hat and, you know, looking like really rough. And then um, later on, like in the movie, he's dressed in, a, you know, a buttoned down white shirt and tight leather trousers and leather jacket. He's looking really, you know, like super cool and, you know, like a mobster hitman. You know, he's, I mean, definitely the guy can dress up, you know, mm. for sure. It is funny how he's used in this film as well. Because um, Billy Bear never really leads a scene. Whenever Gantz is in trouble, Billy Bear just sort of pops into the scene from somewhere, <laughs> shoots someone and then disappears again. Yeah, exactly. Or like appears, beats someone up and disappears again. He's, he literally is just like the muscle. Yeah, yeah. 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 pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He is the muscle, but not from Brussels. <laughs> um, any yeah. other sort of closing comments around these two? I mean, I think they together they have a great um, dynamic. Sort of Albert Gans being the um, being the loose cannon, the one you know he's coming unhinged, and Billy Bear sort of the stoic, quiet, menacing, you know, um, there to keep Gans sort of out of trouble long enough for them to actually get the money um but uh, yeah i think i think my closing comment really is is like i said that that james remar is brilliant i just i I just want to see that guy as a villain in more things yeah exactly exactly right uh and then the main attraction which is obviously jack cates played by nick nolte and reggie hammond uh, played by eddie murphy so we've already talked a little bit um about them but uh, uh maybe we should talk a little bit more about um jack cates and nick nolte like uh i really like his character like this really you know grumpy starting the day with a glass of you know um, you know, um like a slug of whiskey into his coffee and just uh you know he's like this really rogue cop like no one wants to work with and he's uh he's a bastard he is. he's a bastard yeah, he's a rowdy yeah. voice and yeah. Uh, yeah you know his very uh strained relationship with his girlfriend and everything like that and uh yeah i think he's which, just a, which never gets resolved which never gets resolved yeah <laughs> well she he resolves it. Yeah. Um, yeah yeah she's kind I, of an interesting foil like i'll go sure we'll talk about her in a minute but i kind of felt that she was an interesting character and that she is the one who almost sets up his personality you know how he's going to react to things and how he's going to be as a person just because of the way he treats her pretty much yeah he obviously cares about taylor like he, he he's like you know tries to call her and, and stuff but things come get in the way and then she gets get more and more, more and more pissed off as the movie goes and mm-hmm. yeah um, I, I feel like he's a representation of his job 
you know what I mean? Yeah, he's yeah. aggressive, he's ruthless, he's loveless. He, you know, his boss treads on him. He hasn't really got any redeeming traits in this film at all, other than mm. like loyalty, mm. loyalty to justice, loyalty to the city. And I think yeah. he, he's one of these guys that like, you know, career is life. All, all he is is yeah. this guy that fights his way through the city to try and make it a little bit better. But I think it's left years of that has just left him this kind yeah, of he's, grizzled. Exactly, he's probably got a bit a couple, bitter. Cops. Yeah, he probably mm. didn't start out that way with with whiskey in his coffee, but like as he got as he went along, he, he yeah. became more and more like disgruntled. He he almost is the. It sounds silly, but like he is the city. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He is this representation of this mm. awful place that he inhabits. Yeah, he's a product of his environment. The proper dickhead. And I think there's probably been a lot of history there as well that has caused him to become this, like you say, you know, this guy who pours whiskey in his coffee just to get going, like during the day. Like there's probably been a lot of bitter little victories and, you know, um, bad guys he had to let go and, you know, just injustice. And uh, you can imagine how that would wear a guy down. But uh, yeah. Mm. Shit hair as well. <laughs> <laughs> like very, very cool 80s, so, like, yeah. sorry, like 70s. Uh, like that's the thing I, I really love about that sort of late 70s, early 80s. Like, you know, there's just like, like in the early 80s, the 70s just didn't really want to let go, you know, and it just creates this really amazing aesthetic, uh, I find, and the fashion, which is just, yeah. yeah. Amazing. Crocheted um, vests. Sorry? Crocheted vests. Crocheted yeah. vests. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, there are some other noteworthy characters here I feel we just should mention. We've already mentioned uh, Elaine, uh, Jack's feisty girlfriend, played by Annette O'Toole. Um, I I really like her character, and I just think that it's a little bit sad she doesn't get more screen time. Apparently, she was supposed yeah. to have had a bigger role, but I think it got cut probably due to pacing. Um, and it's probably good in the end, but I would just love to see more of her and Jack, like um, Jack, like interacting because she really sort of brings him to heel, and I think she's a, she's a great character. Uh, she's quite underserved, and, and yeah, and as I said earlier, she basically is this just to set up Kate's personality more than anything. It's, it's a bit of a shame she wasn't used because she is great in every scene she's in. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. And again, she, you know, she's able to match his mood uh, very much uh, as well, uh, which I think is cool. Uh, another great character uh, that definitely deserves a uh, mention is Luther, played by David Patrick yeah. Kelly, uh, who's also a friend of this podcast. It's the last time we saw him, he was being dropped off a cliff headfirst by Arnold Schwarzenegger in, uh, in <laughs> <Yeah>. Commando. <laughs> He's yeah. also the leader of the rogues from the Warriors. Yeah. He so, is, yeah. Um, exactly. Warriors. He's called Luther in that as well, isn't he? He is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a so, fan, yes. A bit of James Remar and him and Walter Hill all regrouped from that film for this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I like to think that this film and Commando takes place in the same universe. And then, <laughs> I think, it's, party, does, yeah. does he survive? Like, or I don't he... think he does, unfortunately. Yeah. I don't think he does. What, in Commando? No, in this one. <laughs> well, maybe in Commando, he was dropped off that cliff and he survived it and then became this small-time criminal in San Francisco. Or he Francisco. landed in San Francisco. There was a time warp that opened up and he fell, and he fell straight through it. Yeah. <laughs> but he's great. He's great at playing a, a creep and, and like just yeah. a really angry little man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I actually almost feel, feel like if you were to meet him, he would be that way in real life, just this sleazy, scary little dude. Right? <laughs> 
yeah. <laughs> it's funny though because uh, in this movie, and I don't know if he actually is like that, but but he seems very small and very scrawny, like you yeah. know, like this angry yeah, little he's terrier. tiny little guy. He's yeah. a tiny guy, right? Um, yeah. And I got to say, I actually do feel for him um, a little bit because you know he's you know he's trying to make a clean break. You know, he's trying to build a new life uh, with his girlfriend, and um, and then. Billy and Albert Gantz, they turn up and kidnap the girlfriend and use her to blackmail Luther to go and get the uh, get the money from this heist uh, they did. And he's just in a full-on panic. You know, he's just trying to save uh, save his girlfriend and uh, it doesn't really end well for either of them. So I think mm. he's quite a sad character. And I He do... doesn't put a lot of effort into trying to stop them when they say, we're keeping your girlfriend. He just kind of gets out of the car. <laughs> yeah, I just kind of go, thought, wait, wait. Oh, yeah, look after off. your girlfriend, dude. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, there's your well, you know, there's your chance for a proper clean break, right? You know, just start over. <laughs> just skip town, yeah. Skip town, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. The th- the last one I think also no, uh, needs a special mention is Captain Hayden, um, oh, Jack yeah. Cates, uh, police chief, captain, uh, whatever he is, who's played by the late great Frank Frank McRae, uh, who sadly passed away very recently. I think at time of recording is just over two weeks ago. Um, he delivered. I think one of the absolute most impressive verbal teardowns ever in cinema history. Like yeah. uh, later on, uh, later on in the movie, he delivers such an amazing performance uh, on that, and I think he very much sort of became, or will go down in history as the um, the quintessential angry police chief that all other angry police chiefs yeah. will be measured uh, against. So he doesn't get a lot of screen time here, but he really makes it work. piece of shit if he spent one legal day in his life it'll be a record and this is it for you suspension review board you've had it he played that same role another four times after this obviously in the sequel another 48 hours but he also played it in um the last last action hero so our oh. the film that is our podcast namesake oh. yeah <laughs> and he also did a really funny one in uh, loaded weapons which is sort of a piss take on all these body cop movies where he <laughs> he does a really great piss take and that's i mean that's just an amazing scene uh, as well <laughs> don't forget tim curry dressing up as a girl scout selling cookies <laughs> oh yeah like, like maybe that's another movie we need to cover at some point you know yeah. sort of going to the comedy part of it right I'm going to move us on now. Uh, unless there's any other closing comments around in, uh, interesting characters we haven't really touched uh, on. Kehoe. Kehoe, yeah. Yeah, he yeah he's actually really him. good too. I like him too. Leon Kowalski from Blade Runner. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, I like the relationship that that he has with uh, with Jack Cates. I mean, I'm not sure if they're actually officially partners or just... Uh, or just what, you mean work. like boyfriend and boyfriend? <laughs> yeah, no, potentially, like off screen, you know, who no. knows? Um, but They're breaking uh, each other's balls, for sure. Like, like, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, just the interplay, but uh, just the interplay between those two, I think is, uh, um, I think is quite endearing, uh, actually. Mm. Maybe they used to be partners and... Uh something happened or you know yeah like, there's a history yeah. there maybe and yeah. uh, also just a little teaser so we get to see a lot more of Kehoe in uh, another 48 hours which is the sequel which takes place a couple of years later but uh, we'll let that line maybe cover that in a future podcast yeah. so let's see uh, all right, so moving on to the next big scene, which is a hotel lobby shootout. So just to quickly set up the scene, Gantz has escaped with the help of Billy. 
And they're now in San Francisco looking for Gantz's money. They start by dropping in on members of Gantz's old gang, including Luther, who we mentioned earlier. Um, and to celebrate their progress, or just, I don't know, just because they're high from all the uh, all the adrenaline, they decide to steal some credit cards, uh, get hold of some hookers, and go to a hotel for some partying and R&R. And, yeah. <laughs> and uh, meanwhile, Jack Cates has woken up in a grumpy mood. He has a fright, uh, a fight, <laughs> a fright, a fight with his girlfriend, uh, Elaine. He pours some whiskey into his coffee, uh, gets even more grumpy, and then goes off to work. He then <laughs> drops in on two of his colleagues who are on the trail of these stolen credit cards I mentioned earlier. They've tracked them to a hotel, which then unfortunately happens to be the same hotel where Gantz and Billy are also staying. And this is where a bad day just gets worse. So who wants to start us off at what becomes... Yes, mate. Yes, <laughs> go on. I love how quickly this film gets loud at yes. this point. <laughs> like, in tone and in volume. Mm -hmm. it, it's just... Uh, this is one of my favourite scenes of the film, man. It is just loud. Like, they walk into the hotel, you know... Um, Fucking hell, what's his name? Jack Cates. Cates, Cates yeah. is a bit of a dickhead to the, the girl working in the lobby. They make their way up to the room, and within seconds, this turns into the loudest blam, blam, blam revolver gunfight. It's, it's awesome. I love this scene. It's full on fucking let's go for it action. Um, oh shit. Uh, Mike, Mike from, from Breaking, Breaking Bad. Bad yeah. Elgren. Yeah. He, he's introduced and he's yeah. like killed and shot immediately and you you realise this film is not afraid to pull punches. Oh, it's just exactly. going in fucking hard and fucking loud. Yeah. yeah. One of the things I really loved in this scene is it had you only had this in the, the 80s, maybe the early 90s, the type of squibs they used when people get shot. You see their, clairs, their toes toes their clothes tear yeah. and all the blood kind of spattered out like you don't see that in films nowadays but these things used to fucking pop and like there were blood yeah, everywhere yeah, yeah. it's cool realistic. one of the things that made me quite a what you laugh is that the, the blood felt a little orangey and it just made me think about that scene in hot fuzz where he gets the bolognese on his face like, all right andy it's just bolognese <laughs> that's a great scene yeah. um I, yeah, I also think there's something about the you know the, the brutality of 48 hours in general because um so, so Albert Gantz shoots one of um, Jack Cates' partners, I forget his name, it's the guy in the gray suit, and he drops dead like straight away. Then uh, the other one, Mike uh, from Breaking Bad, uh, whose actual name is Jonathan Banks, I believe. Banks, yeah. Yeah, Algren, yeah. um, Algren in this. Yeah. Mm. Um, so it's they funny engage he, in the, Sorry? Sorry, I was going to say it was funny because he, he, lo he still, he looks like himself, he's... He, he still, he looks young, he looks but he like still looks himself. old. Like, nothing. <laughs> you know it's Mike like, from Breaking Bad. The moment you see him, he's got a very distinctive face. Yeah. But he, I felt that he still looked, he looked young, even though he still looked old. And when I checked the film afterwards, he's actually older than I am now, but, oh, sorry, younger than I am now, Fucking but still looks older. I can't, I can't speak. I'm done. Has oh, <laughs> anyone at all got any idea what the fuck he's saying? Not at all. I he, think looks, <laughs> he looks young, but he looks old at the same time. <laughs> he looks <laughs> Yeah. And he looks like yeah. himself, but someone different. <laughs> and he's older. And he's, he's older and younger than that. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Okay. No. Time loops. So Algren's in it. Who was Mike in Breaking Bad? Yes. Yeah. Uh, what were you saying? My throat. No. Um, no. What I wanted to say was that um, so him and Gantz they engaging in a sort of um, you know shootout, exchanging bullets and. Um, 
what's his name again? Uh, Halgren? Algren. Uh, Algren. Yeah. He takes a slug straight to the gut, uh, I think, and is sort of getting thrown back. And uh, he survives it, but he is not in a good way. And um, he, you know, you see him later come staggering down the stairs. You know, blood is dripping. He's got sweat all over, and it's and it, Gans, sorry, Gans, eventually ends up just shooting him uh, in yeah. cold blood. It's just a really horrible, brutal killing uh i think yeah and uh, it is yeah well um, kate's gives gives gans his his gun right which i thought was really puzzling like that it felt like a classic like mexican standoff right it's because both yeah. gans and billy have a hostage right yeah. okay so and it's like look, you either one. give him the gun or one of these girls is going to get shot mm-hmm. yeah yeah so he gives up his weapon yeah paramount said when they first saw this scene and how visceral it was that they weren't happy with the scene because it, they feel, felt the violence immediately destroyed any of the sort of comedic stuff that the film was going to later set up and they were so angry with it that they told uh, Walter Hill he'd never work for Paramount again um, of course he I don't know where this the whole sequel. comedy thing comes from like reading up <laughs> about this film comedy is not. mentioned all the time yeah. yeah this scene is one of the best scenes in the film I got this dirty Harry vibe yeah you know yeah. kicking in doors and blowing people's fucking brains out type of film <laughs> yeah but everywhere you read, it's like, oh, yeah, it wasn't funny enough or it wasn't comedic enough. Or we, and it's like, who gives a fuck, man? Yeah. That is not this film. No. I, it's funny, but it's darkly funny. It's not a balls-out, you know, comedy film. Yeah. To be fair, it gets funnier as it goes along. There's some funny scenes. Yeah. There. yeah Which, sure. putting it out there, I was a little bit disappointed in. For me, this scene is the peak of the film. It's so good. And I feel like, I mean, the rest of the film, I do like it. I, I love this film. But I feel like it never quite gets back up to this level again mm. yeah, yeah yeah even for the finale it never reaches this this hotel shootout i think there's uh we'll get into it uh, like like the subway chase scene i really like because there's the intensity of it um um but uh i mean you're right sort of it then starts to kind of wear off a little bit and it becomes a lot more sort of the sort of the standoff between them sort of the sort of the dueling between them um becomes a little bit more intimate uh, almost and um uh in the final showdown it's very much sort of you know, like, you know, a old Western shootout, uh, really. Like, you know, they just keep on, like, whittling down the number of um, number yeah. of characters uh, there. Um, but, yeah, in, we'll definitely uh, get into that. In this hotel shootout as well, you know what I said earlier about Billy Bear, how he just, like, sort of pops up in a scene to do something and then disappears again? He does it twice in this. So Gans is in trouble and the shootout happens in the hallway and Billy Bear just pops out of a random door, <laughs> shoots a cop and then disappears again. And when they go downstairs, Kate's busts Gans in the face with the butt of his gun and that's it it's game over but Billy Bear kind of pops out from behind a ball <laughs> takes a shot and then pops back again and that's literally all he does this film we just sort of into scene out of scene <laughs> he's um, he's yeah. sort of like that uh, you know trump card you play in a I don't know game yeah. of magic or something like that yeah. it just saves you right like ha ha <laughs> Billy Bear <laughs> the Billy Bear card <laughs> um, right so um the hotel shootouts ended very bloody. Um, Gantz and uh, Billy Bear have escaped with uh, Rosie, their uh, Rosie, their hostage, and uh, Jack's colleagues are all dead at the hand uh, of Gantz. So um, Jack then uh, goes to the police station, um, and uh, very quickly they, you know, he starts to get a sense of who. Um, um, Sorry, of who Gantz is. Um, he then manages to track down Reggie Hammond, who's a former member of Gantz's gang, Gantz's gang, uh, who's currently serving time behind bars. And Gates, Kates is itchy 
just itching to get his hands um, uh, on Gantz. Hands so, on Gantz. <laughs> his hands on Gantz, his crabs on Gantz. Um, so uh, Kate goes to see Reggie in the hope of getting some more clues to what Gantz is up to and where he's uh, where he's heading next. And this is where we're introduced to Eddie in his first acting role. Um, we've already covered a little bit about this, but any other kind of key things? Because um, I think it's I love quite this a key scene, scene yeah. this one. I mean, the, the fact that he's just singing Roxanne, <laughs> like bad, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and the way he does it, like uh, this poor roommate. Well, I mean, his his fellow inmates must be really pissed at him. <laughs> yeah. I'm amazed he hasn't been stabbed in the bath yeah. or whatever it is they do to get rid of annoying prisoners because gets, he's because he sings shimmed. so badly yeah. and apparently yeah. all the time, right? <laughs> what, what's odd about this as well is we're talking about literally just a moment ago. We were saying you know this, we're meant to have this comedy edge and it's meant to be lighthearted. And obviously Eddie Murphy's been brought in to be this guy. But I felt like Reggie's really dislikable as well. He's arrogant. He's selfish. Like throughout this film, he treats women like shit. Mm. Um, and he's like massively homophobic. And then when we think of that comedy thing, it's like, how can this guy be the one that audiences are supposed to like? He's as much of a prick as Kate's is. Mm. Yeah. And it, it's just this odd dynamic where it's like, well, in my mind, the more I watch it, you've got two fairly bad guys. And is one meant to be good cop? Yeah, it's interesting that of like, where's the sympathy supposed to be with, uh, right? Like um, Jack Cates, you know, this um, grumpy, you know, um, not very likable cop who just wants to do some justice. Reggie, who's like this dislikable con man, like you say, you know, uh, women are just a, pardon my French, a piece of ass uh, for him. It's like, yeah, where's the sympathy supposed French? to be with? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. I think, I, I think you're supposed to have sympathy for Reggie, but... He's not a nice dude. No, I mean he's not at Albert Gans bad, right? But um, he's, I mean, again, you know, he's, you know, he took part in an armed robbery. You know, he's gone down. Uh, he's serving time uh, and everything. So, you know, he's, you know, he's not exactly every mother-in-law's dream. Uh, I don't think. But uh, also, but, yeah. he's a little fucking snitch because <laughs> as soon as he thinks he might be getting out, he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll take you to him. Yeah, yeah. Thought, exactly. He's self-serving. Yeah. He wants to get out. <laughs> He's also a bit of a manipulator, right? Because he knows that Jack is desperate to get his hold of Gans, and then Reggie's and Reggie is using that to sort of get back on the street, you know, say that you know, get um, you know, get me out of here, and I can help you. Um, and I think, yeah, I wonder Jack what his is, main motivation is. Is it money or is it getting laid? Because <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of both. I don't have both. a feeling. It's a little it's bit of both. It's just himself, isn't it? His main motivation is gain. Mm. Yeah. Whether gain, it's like yeah. sexual gain or financial gain or, you know, power gain. It's just, yeah. He's not really that interested in helping out until he realizes the money that uh, they're after is the money that he has stored in the boot of his car somewhere. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Then it starts to become a little bit real, uh, actually. Yeah. Um, He's like, that's my nest egg for when I get out of this shit can. So, yeah. Yeah. We were saying it earlier, though, like Eddie Murphy so easily owns the screen. Do you know what I mean? Like, you just. Just as a person, he's so charismatic. He's so good on camera that you just you're captivated by him. He really is, and I've said it before. Like I do think he is a good actor. Um, I think this was a very strong, if slightly odd, choice for his first screen uh, appearance. Um, but I think he, you know, he just totally nails it, and I think that's what kind of sets him up for, you know, for a lot of the future roles. Um, uh, he's done. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, this one was a ballsy decision and a ballsy move uh, for him uh, as well. He got the part because uh, Walter Hill's girlfriend was his agent, and it was her that 
recommended him for oh, the part. Really? Uh, the, the film they were originally trying to look at getting Richard Pryor, possibly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she recommended recommended him. Again, another comedian, another stand-up comedian. Yeah. They, they, they really wanted this character to be funny. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he does have some funny moments, but again, it's not sort of that laugh-out-loud funny. Uh, I think they didn't know what they were going to do with this character. They, they, they were going to make him funny. Obviously, you'll again look at comedians, but as far as I'm aware, they were writing the character of Reggie right up until the last day of shooting. Right. So they, they weren't quite sure what he was going to be. And I think throughout the process, a lot of the film almost evolved its personality uh, on the fly, really. You mm. know, these characters are written as they were kind of organically growing out of the, the situations they were filming. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've hinted at to it already that, you know, perhaps uh, the studios think, you know, obviously it did become successful, but perhaps because it wasn't comedic, because he wasn't this funny guy and th- these two bounced off each other, it, perhaps it was seen as a failure. Mm. But I think it's a massive positive that he didn't end up as this comedic character. Mm. Yeah. It just keeps the tone really gritty and nasty throughout. And I think it just would have been a bit messy yeah. had he been funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, it would have been a total clash of styles, right? Because like Walter Hill does these really dark, grimy, gritty uh, movies and then to have, you know, a, a comedian come in and sort of make light of the whole thing, it just wouldn't have worked. Like the whole thing would just have fallen apart, uh, I think. Yeah, agreed. Um, yeah. Right. Uh, any other thoughts on Reggie Hammond, apart from his dress sense and stuff like that? And his singing. And his singing. <laughs> singing yeah. And the laugh as well. Yeah. We'll cover that yeah, a little bit later. The laugh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the laugh. <laughs> um, right. Actually, yeah, just, just a last thing. Yes. And I suppose while we're talking about this scene where, the, you know, they've met, Kate's has now gone to the, the jail. He's got Reggie out. Um, they're they're kind of going to have to work together in this, but I didn't like, and it's probably intentional, I didn't like Kate's and Reggie's relationship. It's very antagonistic. Yeah, mm. from now to the end of the film. Well, no, you know, they warm up later. But Kate's is an absolute horrible little prick to Reggie. <laughs> like, really, really nasty. Unnecessarily nasty at times. Yeah. Just This pulls out another facet nice. of his personality, I thought. So, obviously, we've mentioned that the film does touch on race, and a lot of that is to do with their uh, relationship to each other. But I, I felt like... You know that this guy's a bit of an asshole and he's grizzled and whatnot. And then the moment he meets Reggie and the way he is towards him, it kicks that into another level. It's like he's quite racist in the way he treats him. Uh, He also treats him like he's below him because he's a convict. Um, But the thing I thought was interesting was that you don't know what this guy's personality is like out of work. You don't know if he is genuinely a racist or whether he is using yeah. racism as a strategic way to make Reggie do what he wants him to yeah. do. And I don't know which is worse out of those two. There's, things, there's, a, there's, a, there's a scene where uh, Kate says to Re- Reggie, like, I'm just doing my job keeping you down. It's like, mm. yeah. yeah, that's kind of his, his uh, like he didn't mean those uh, racial remarks, you know, but it's almost worse in a way to use yeah. it that way. It's it's, yeah. it's pretty mean. Yeah. yeah. It felt a little bit forced as well though. Like, there's a point where Reggie, I think, quite reasonably says, I'm fucking hungry. Mm. You've taken me out of prison. We've been doing all this yeah. and I'm hungry. And even then he's mean. Instead of them getting food, he just sort of gets that chocolate bar or whatever it is out of the vending machine and gives <laughs> yeah. him that. And you're just like, like, give it a rest, mate. Do you have to be 100% dickhead all yeah. the time? He's quickly, quickly trying to establish himself as, you know, this is my fucking show and you will do what I say for the next 40 yeah. hours and you're not even a person in my eyes. You're here to help me do what I've got to do and that is it. Mm. Yeah. As a viewer, I found it a little bit tiresome. Yeah. Like, like I said, I do like this, but it was like, do you have to be in this gear 
all the time. I think they take that heavier-handed approach because obviously, you know, spoilers, but the, the whole thing is that their relationship is supposed to soften and they come to respect one another, maybe even yeah. build mm. a friendship and mm. that has maybe to Maybe even of, have sex. Maybe even, yeah. I mean, if Reggie yeah. is desperate enough. They don't. Yeah. <laughs> now get this. We ain't partners. We ain't brothers and we ain't friends. I'm putting you down and keeping you down until Gans is locked up or dead. And if Gans gets away, you're going to be sorry you ever met me. I'm already sorry. Yeah. Can, can we talk but, about the fight scene between them a little bit? I mean, that's... <laughs> It's amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah um, that actually comes a little bit later, later on, but oh, um, yeah. yeah, I think let's uh, let's tease it here because yeah. it is a really good fight scene, and it is uh, it is actually a little bit fun uh, as well. Yeah, you could sort of uh, I, I can the, I, I can sort of like understand him. why yeah. Jack kind of got to that point, but yeah, we'll cover that in okay. um, in a little bit of time. Um, right, so uh, we're moving on. Uh, we got to go to what I've dubbed the Hillbilly Bar. I know it's called something else, but um, torture. Torgies, there we go. So yeah, Jack has managed to get Reggie released into his custody for 48 hours, hence the title of the movie, Mm. if you haven't figured that out uh, already, uh, to help him track down um, the former gang members. Uh, So they go and see Luther, um, who is in a wild panic following his girlfriend's uh, kidnapping. Luther is arrested, but he won't say anything. And Jack's starting to get a little bit pissed off with with Reggie because he had hoped for a more solid lead uh, from him. So they kind of go on a bit of a long shot so they go to a bar downtown called Torchies, which i guess can only be described as hillbilly hell um where billy used to work uh, <laughs> hellbilly uh, to yeah. see if that might yield something and um this is where reggie is <laughs> effectively led off the leash and uh yeah he goes into um yeah eddie murphy mode eddie murphy mode and yeah how so how does he handle himself? Like there's Eddie Murphy in a bar full of hillbillies, cowboy hats, um, you know, redneck music, the lot. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just setting up this scene. I mean, initially, Kate takes him to this bar because he thinks you know, this will be a good place to get information uh, and somehow hands his, lets Reggie convince him to hand him his badge and take control of the scene. But he doesn't tell him going into the bar that this is a a hillbilly bar so this surprised me in the film because when you come into it and it's just full of these rednecks and you instantly feel reggie is really out of place and <laughs> really above his station in this place like you know these guys are not going to be reciprocal to him whatsoever you're kind of like this is going to be interesting <laughs> i'm gonna uh, correct this just a minute and i think for the sake of the listener like we're saying it's the hillbilly bar and i get why we are but i think that possibly gives off a slightly different impression to yeah. what this is. You know, Hillbillies makes you think shacks and pitchforks and actually it's like the good old boys bar. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like cowboy hats and line dancing. It's, it's very much a Western themed bar. Um, yeah. 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 Um, I, I just think Hillbillies perhaps a bit deceptive as to what he's walked into. It's, yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah, like the good right. old boys. <laughs> Which feels it's, kind of out, of, very out of place for uh, San Francisco. Like, you know, it, especially bit, now yeah. it's more like, you know, tech bros. <laughs> you know <laughs> maybe, maybe in the in the 80s it's different so this scene look the setup like like dan was saying he reggie is totally out of place here it's it's a white bar it's the kind of the piano player stops playing and they all stare at <laughs> reggie type bar but the the switch here is fucking great the way yeah. that he's like he's this sort of downtrodden black man in a white environment and like in the blink of an eye he he power turns this place and he's got them all like shutting the fuck up while he marches around and the way eddie murphy controls this scene is 
is great. You know, I know it's yeah. written to do that, but he controls this fucking scene. You totally believe mm. that this young sort of underpowered black guy has walked into this hugely powerful scenario that's against him and just switched it. And it's amazing. There is, uh, as they, um, so as Jack and Reggie are going towards um, this bar, they're, they're driving towards it. They're having this conversation about, well, what does it actually take? And I think, is it Jack who says, well all, well, all it really takes is just bullshit and, uh, and experience. And then they sort of put this to the test here. So Jack gives Reggie his badge and uh, Reggie goes in, makes the most of that badge and sort of makes him believe that he is an actual cop who's looking for information yeah. on Billy Bear. And, uh, just, mm. and just by the using of that badge, he kind of holds them all in check, which is, uh, again, down to Reggie slash Eddie Murphy's performance in this. Like, you're right, like he just totally owns if not mesmerizes uh, the room uh, yeah. it's that whiskey glass moment isn't it yeah where yeah. they've poured him a drink and everyone's sort of looking at it you know frowning at him and the barman's got no respect and he just launches that whiskey glass through the mirror like smash yeah the whole place looks and he's like now i got your fucking mm. attention yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. the music stops it's amazing like that giving them all a pat down checking them there's that guy with the yeah. knife I think stealing their weapons uh, yeah. stealing their yeah. weapons as well yeah. <laughs> new sheriff in town <laughs> well, he says yeah it's brilliant this is your worst nightmare I'm a n-word with a badge yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly um, I think Kate's, Kate's is impressed as well he is yeah, yeah. like you know he, sure. as they walk in he thinks that um, Reggie's gonna get the shit kicked out of him <laughs> I'm convinced he does yeah and I think he very quickly realises like yeah Reggie's a tough little bastard man he commands respect. I think this is also where you start to realize that Reggie's not all bullshit. Um, you know, uh, yes, he dresses sharply. He talks a, he talks a good game. But um, uh, I don't know about you, but I kind of, um, when I was watching the movie for the first few times, I kind of feeling, like, yeah, but is he really all that? And, you know, this is going to go horribly bad. And, um, you know, he's going to end up like getting his, you know, the shit kicked out of him and Jack's going to have to come in and, uh, mm. but no, he, again, he holds his own and you really get a sense that, you know, he, he is streetwise. He does know when to put up on a performance and when to sort of hold back um, a little bit. So. Uh, One of the things I liked about this scene as well is that helps make it quite powerful. Uh, I, I read this kind of, uh, a discussion about this scene and one of the points that someone made, which I thought was really interesting was that he, as a comedian, he comes in and he uses comedy in this point, but he never uses comedy to uh, belittle himself or lower himself. He uses it as a weapon against these people. Yeah. You know, his wit just completely floors these guys. You know, he instantly levels himself above all of them, and it's it's a yeah, really powerful sure. scene. Mm. So there is a there is a negative with this scene though that with today's you know lens that we've discussed on previous podcasts, it's a little bit difficult. Is that this film um, likes using race and racism to prove a point. The only trouble is in this scene, they use racism against Reggie. So you understand that Reggie is the stronger man here because he doesn't need to lower to that level. But he uses loads of homophobic slurs back at people. Mm. Yeah, he does. And I think, you know, where they've tried to push the power in Reggie's favour, because he keeps calling people faggots and stuff... Mm it just pulls him straight back down again. Mm. And maybe in that era, it didn't. Maybe it wasn't frowned upon to use those kind of slurs. But when you watch it now, it's like, well, he's not necessarily any better than them in this scenario. Mm. True, mm. yeah. Yeah, Yeah. it's interesting kind of how that, um, like the dynamic of a scene when you watch it now, what's that like, you know, almost like what, 30 years later, not 40, um, how 
these scenes can suddenly change. And I think that's also why it's good and important and interesting why we are re-watching these old uh uh, these older movies and sort of trying to get a sense for well what were things like back then and you know how would they actually be viewed uh, now um so it was all crocheted vests mate it was all crocheted vests right <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but this scene is also like uh it is kind of like yeah the, the like the black man standing up to 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 this Oppression. white fox yeah because like before yeah. this it was like black exploitation movies but like this is probably one of the first movies that that did this kind of you know, uh, switching yeah, the roles. A really, mm. but, uh, there's a great interview almost. with Eddie Murphy himself, and he actually speaks about this scene and how how good, it, how, how amazing it was for him. You know, being a first-time actor uh, in a motion picture, to have a have a film, sort of have a scene that was as powerful as this. You know, he he's essentially a black man coming into a white man's world and, and owning it. And I don't think anyone before him had really had a scene that that was that powerful. It was. Yeah, it's a great scene. Yeah, and like I said, scene. man, before we get too deep, like he fucking owns it. He really does. Like, he absolutely yeah. owns it. And again, for a twenty-one-year-old first time on a fi- like film actor, yeah, it, yeah, it's impressive. Usually it's incredible. Impressive, yeah. I love his laugh. He does when when the bartender <laughs> says like uh, when he orders a, a vodka, and the bartender says, "Are you sure you don't mean a black Russian?" And he goes, "Ah, ah, ah, ah." Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's such a patronizing. Man. Yeah, <laughs> and he sort yeah. of slams them. What the sort of slams the um, the the bar uh, the bar as well, and it's yeah, it's a funny <laughs> laugh, but it's not his signature laugh yet, and it's yeah, just, and it's not quite it's the, so <laughs> weird. It's perfect to listen to. It's like that's not funny, bastard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, any other things before we move on? Let's see what we can fuck with next. Hey man, all right, okay, okay. So yeah, basically, uh, Reggie. Um, throw some more uh, glasses around. He flips his badge and uh, eventually they manage to get a lead on a girl uh, that Billy used to see who lives in Chinatown, just a few blocks up or down. Uh, and But unfortunately, this lead also seems like a bit of a dud, um, though as the girlfriend and her roommate apparently has kicked Billy out a long time ago because he owed her money. So Jack and Reggie are now back to square one. And Jack, by this time, he's now really pissed off. Like, he knows Reggie is hiding something. Like, why is Gantz chasing down his old gang? And why is Reggie in such a hurry to in um, in such a hurry to catch him? His patience has run out. So, basically, Jack decides uh, the only option apparently left to him is to beat it out of uh, Reggie. And this is where we get the fight between Jack um, and Reggie. Um, and, uh, yeah, just a few yeah. words uh, on that, uh, Bjorn. I mean, I love this scene because it's like, all right, yeah. So he starts taking off his holster, and and uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick your ass now. And, and Reggie's so like, oh, don't you know, I'm, I'm just gonna embarrass you. And then, and then he's like, one thing about me is I fight dirty. And then he's like, uh, sucker <laughs> just, punches him. Yeah, completely. yeah. And then they have a fight, and it's like this fight is so amazing because it's like you have. A Jack who is like just you know just swinging. He's just he's like, a brawler. Right? He's a brawler. Yeah, there's no style have, to it. And then you have uh, Eddie Murphy's like pop pop pop. He's still like you know boxer style. Um, yeah. And I read a trivia that they actually hit each other exactly the same time uh, amount of times in this scene. <laughs> you know. Um, and I also like that after this fight scene, uh, <laughs> Jack's face is like bloodied and it stays like that for like <laughs> pretty yeah. much the rest of yeah. the movie. <laughs> exactly. One of the things like that really made me laugh, this, this quote one of the biggest laughs for me for this film, I think, was that they, they have this fight and it gets interrupted by more police turning up and they're like, you know, cases, it's all right, I'm a 
I'm a cop. Uh, and he, they get, you know, they get the badge and get on their way. And uh, Red, Reggie's back in the car, like, sort of, sort of tending to his sore face. And as, <laughs> as Kate gets in, he just pops him again. Yeah. Before, <laughs> <laughs> he drives away and just pops him on. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> he needs to get the last, uh, the last swing in. <laughs> yeah. I think in, in regards to their relationship as well, just my own little comment on it. I think that's actually the turning point where from this point onwards, they have a little bit more respect for each other. Yeah. Like the yeah. following morning, which I'm sure you're going to get to, um, uh, Kate's goes out and buys Reggie like a coffee for breakfast. Yeah. And before that would never have happened. And no. I think post the fight, it's like, okay, you know, yeah. we've proved ourselves. We're, you know, I, think I, I don't know. You, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. That mutual kind of respect for each other from this point. And I think it's interesting you mentioned Bjorn that you know they basically match each other blow for blow. Like they each manage to land the exact same number on the yeah. uh, on the other guy. Uh, so yeah. I guess that's also where they find that they are actually quite evenly matched. Like their methods might be different, but they are quite evenly matched. And yeah, you're right. I, you know, yeah, I definitely but it's think kind that of like they had a conversation, but it's a fight. It's and, a fight, uh, <laughs> exactly. and uh, you know they could have just talked it out, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but instead, talk it out with my fucking fist. Yeah, <laughs> they're not that you know emotionally mature people yeah, so exactly. like they just had a, a fist fight instead yeah. Kate certainly isn't no, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Uh, this fight is cut short when the police car arrives and in the aftermath uh, Reggie then decides to come clean um, so yeah Gans is after the money from uh, from the heist uh, that he did with Reggie and Luther and Reggie and Luther have hit the money in the trunk of Reggie's car which is parked in a, what do you call it like a garage building sort mm. of a long sort of a long term mm. uh, long Long-term car park stay, whatever. He's got to spend yeah, like all of his money lot. on paying for that I'm fucking for that time. <laughs> it's, it's a parking lot where you can keep things locked up for like yeah, exactly. a couple of weeks, but he's kept it there for <laughs> three years. And it ends years. up being there for, was it like three years or something like that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like um, when they get the car, it's like completely covered in dust. Completely you know? covered in dust. <laughs> yeah. And Reggie is like completely, why did he take it to the fucking cleaners, you know? Yeah. <laughs> why the fuck don't he take it to a car wash? I didn't know you darker people went in for foreign jobs. Yeah, well, I had no choice. Some white asshole bought the last piece of shit Sky Blue Cadillac. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so they go to this um, garage building uh, and Jack and Reggie decide to stake out the place, hoping that eventually someone will turn up. And yeah, lo and behold, the next day there is uh, there is Luther uh, coming. He picks up the car, which has been parked there for three years because he's been busy, as he says um, <laughs> to the guy. Uh, Luther picks up the car uh, with the money in the trunk and then uh, Jack and Reggie are tailing him. Uh, um, Luther then drives to a is a subway or a train station. I can't yeah. exactly work. Before the, exactly the, work the, the steel drums kick in again. Before the steel drums, they kick in again, and they go up to the subway where Gans is waiting. And uh, here we're treated to one of my favorite scenes in the movie, which is sort of like these intense, nearly three minutes, no dialogue, of a, like a constant build up to a showdown between Reggie and Kate, Luther and um, Gans uh, as well, with Billy waiting. Uh, uh, just off screen and also coming ready in to and, uh, pop out know, exactly to pop out and save him again um, someone say Billy <laughs> <laughs> here I am uh, someone needs rescuing <laughs> or shooting shooting exactly uh, I, I felt a little bit let down by this scene oh know? really I, yeah well look, I agree with you that it's the anticipation is brilliant it's like this standoff and it's so suspenseful but it doesn't have the payoff and I get for the film why it doesn't because you can't constantly have shootouts, you can't constantly have fights, but it just builds up to something amazing. And like, you know, there's the standoff, someone's got the money and uh, Gans is turning up and the detectives are there and it's all climaxing in this super busy subway. And then they all just sort of escape. 
It's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The cops, there is the cops this, uh, just, you know, ruins it. Uh, ruins the scene, <laughs> you could yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, like... Yeah. like and this sort of seems to be one of those. Was it a was it called a trope I mean, or something like that? Where yeah. Whenever the hero cop goes chasing the bad guy in a public place, and this you know the other cops, they always focus on the hero cop. They always stop yeah. him. They always but this, you know, arrest him. This is the him. disadvantage of being an undercover cop and not having like a, yeah. a, a you know. Uh, some sort of it happens uh, a great big in, hat um, on that says I'm a police. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> well, it happens in a kindergarten cop in a feature from a Schwarzenegger where he plays a kindergarten teacher, but he's an undercover cop, and the cops foil his plan. He's like, "I'm a cop, you idiot!" <laughs> I'm a cop, you idiot. John Kimball. So yeah, we're in uh, we're in the subway here. This is supposed to be where Luther can give Gans the money and Luther can get his girlfriend back. Jack and Reggie are obviously ruining the whole thing, and then they run off um, uh, in different directions, like literally. Um, so Jack chases Luther. No, sorry, Reggie chases Luther, mm-hmm. and Jack tries to go and uh, chase down. Um, Gantz and Billy, um, but they get separated, and um, then Jack, uh, after his arrest and hopefully and you know, supposedly uh, release from the transport police um, uh, lockup, he goes back to the um, station. Uh, what do you call it? Yeah. The station, thank you, uh, police station, and wait while Reggie uh, has followed Luther to a sleazy hotel and goes to uh, goes to wait for Jack at a nightclub across the street. And also presumably to get uh, some action uh, of his own. Um, and then later Jack arrives and then they figure out that all they have to do is just wait at this nightclub uh, on, um, on, uh, until the morning uh, and then follow Luther to uh, then uh, then follow Luther to Gant, who um, s- um, supposedly is going to try and uh, make the exchange uh, again. So the nightclub is called Froman's at the Fillmore. Uh, let's do a quick pit stop <laughs> there and um, sort of talk a little bit about... Um, uh, that place, because obviously it's a place that's quite dear to us. We like to hang out there after a busy day of podcasting, right? Um, <laughs> what do we think of the place? I like this scene because it's an exact mirror of the earlier uh, Torchies scene. So Torchies being the the very white bar with the black guy who's out of place. We now have the black bar with Kate now being out of place. Uh, but he's much more fucking uncomfortable about it. You can see he's really just like, yeah, this is not for me. Like, <laughs> This bar's fucking going off as well. It's cool. Man. They got yeah. rock and roll and everyone's yeah. dancing. I'd rather it's be there great. than the last place. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, good vibes in this place. <laughs> yeah. I want to just talk briefly about the band, which I love. Um, I just think they're absolutely brilliant. Apparently, it's, it's that keyboard player, man. It's a keyboard player <laughs> and also the lyrics in the first song. And I've been humming this song since, uh, since I watched it uh, uh, recently. It's... Um, so the first song is, I woke up late this afternoon, found a note by my bed. Well, my, well, my woman had took everything I owned, even stole the grease off my head. <laughs> this is <really> <laughs> uh, but it's okay, because he's going downtown. He's got to buy himself some new shoes. It's like, well, sure. You know, when you've know, when, uh, you know, you got like, nothing, uh, nothing to win and nothing to lose, just go and buy yourself some new shoes. I just think the day was a good day. The day this was a good works. day. Yeah. <laughs> it just cracks me up. And uh, yeah, uh, I think it's such, a, you know, it's such a contrast, because here there actually seems to be a lot more fun uh, happening um, mm. uh, so this is another place where uh, sorry to bring it down again uh, where in today's dude. lens it gets a little bit challenging because this is actually a really fun scene and 
Eddie Murphy is kind of unleashed a little bit here and he's this very charismatic guy that can go and like chat up the women and square up to the guys. But this is another scene where like the the women are just objects for mm-hmm. Reggie to go and treat how he wants, talk to how he wants. And have you noticed that every single woman in this film just does as they're told almost immediately? Mm. Yeah. They're either bullied into it or they're convinced into it, but no woman has got any kind of... Um, you know, dignity or self-respect in this film at all. There's two earlier when they go to meet Billy's ex and they introduce these two women. They got a baseball bat and they're meant to be hard, but both of them are in their underwear. And you're like, well, <laughs> yeah. 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 I did like though the, the the whole sort of introduction to that scene in Romans where he's like, you know, I'm off the chain. I'm going to go get me some, you know, some women. Uh, and the, he's, he's, in, he's sandwiched in between two girls at the bar and he's like, hey, I'm Reggie Hammond. And she's like, <laughs> yeah. so? And the, he turns to the other and goes, hey, I'm Reggie Hammond. She's like, yeah, I'm here with someone. And he's like... Just looks at the barman like, hey, yeah, I'm Reggie Hammond. And the barman <laughs> yeah. just gives him a stare. And like, yeah. yeah, and no one it's gives not, a shit, mate. It's not my night. Yeah. It's not my night. <laughs> he definitely didn't bring his game. <laughs> right. Hey, babe. My name's Reggie Hammond. Well, so what? Hey, my name's Reggie Hammond. I'm with somebody. How you doing? My name's Reggie Hammond. Save my night. <laughs> Which also kind yeah. of makes you think, well, you know, how much of a ladies' man is he actually? But uh, yeah. I think it's just horny, like the, his rich peaked hor- horniness here. And, and uh, <laughs> well, he's been in, a, in the locket for three years, you know. Yeah. Yeah. As he says, you know, it gets hard when the wind blows. <laughs> yeah, he did say that. <laughs> and also when uh, so Jack gets there and he's like, oh, I, I, I have this girl. I'm, I want to take her to a hotel, but I don't have any money. So and then Jack's <laughs> brings up like this really. Like screwed up, screwed up, <laughs> up story. And, uh, and he says, "Like have fun," and 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 Eddie Murphy says, "Have fun. I'm gonna have sex, man." <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Gotta be no fun involved or anything like no. that. You know? It's not fun. <laughs> the and he also um, says, "It's ten o five. By ten ten, I want to be into some flesh." Yeah, again, yeah. like that whole pickup line. By 10, 11, it'll be done. Yeah. He I says mean, it to the girl as well. It's like, yeah, and yeah. she doesn't really seem to take offense by it. She's just like, no. you can't ask for any better than that. Hey, listen, my name is Reggie. I'm Candy. Yo, look, Candy, um, if I don't get some trim before the night's over, I'm a bus. What? Some trim, some Mugambo, some sex. Are you crazy? You can't ask me any better than that. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, patient girl, or she just really kind of sees past the bullshit. Um, you know, had it been, uh, you know, another girl, she would have rightly so slapped him across the face. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, right. So, yeah. So, um, Reggie's um, found his woman and he's off to get some action finally. But then, just by pure blind dumb luck, as he's walking out the nightclub with this girl in tow, uh, he sees Luther is actually doing a runner from the hotel across the um, across the street. Uh, so he rushes back in, um, grabs Jack, and then they um, uh, then they uh, jump in the car and go tearing in the streets uh, to start um, to start follow um, follow Luther. Um, Luther goes to a bus stop and where he finds Gans and Billy there uh, with Rosie in a bus. Uh, he goes into like the this. exchange. Billy uh, ties, just pulls up at the bus and opens the door and he's like driving. And all I thought was, here's the Billy bus. <laughs> 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 Welcome to the Billy Express. <laughs> all aboard. The Billy Mobile. Yeah. <laughs> he's all off to save the Billy all bus. bad guys. 
um, so yeah, this is where Luther hopes to exchange the money for Rosie. It goes really badly wrong. I, um, uh, Gantz basically takes offense to something Luther says um, and shoots Luther and presumably Rosie as well. Although we actually don't see that, uh, uh, we don't see that happen. So. I, Presumably it happens uh, off-screen. Sort of drop the ball on these two here, don't they? They get shot and then that's the last mm. you see of them. So it's... Yeah. I'm not um, entirely sure whether they survived it or whether... Or, no, I, don't I, I like to think that Luther did survive and became the guy in Commando. <laughs> Commando. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think in the last, ac- uh, the last Action Hero podcast uh, cinematic universe, this is exactly what happened. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so let's just go with that. Um, so... Jack and Reggie come tearing down the street in the Cadillac and starts uh, starts to chase them. Bullets are flying, and Jack ends up, unfortunately, crashing uh, his lovely blue Cadillac convertible into a shop window. Uh, and Gantz and Billy uh, get away, and they got the money. So um, it all ends in a bit of a downer. Um, they go so uh, they go back to the station uh, where Jack and Reggie gets torn this massive new one by Captain Hayden for having fucked up so badly. And unfortunately, with no more leads to follow and 48 hours are almost up, it's time for Jack to bring Reggie back to jail. But they do have time to go for one last drink at a bar to kind of lick their wounds. And then on a hunch, they go back to Chinatown to Billy's girlfriend thinking that, well, maybe they might have gone back there. And and yeah, sure enough, um, there they are, uh, Billy and uh, Albert Gans. Um, and it's time for the final showdown. So yeah. who'd like to take the first shot? Yeah. It feels like hey. they basically just rushed to this scene, right? Like, yeah, A like, little bit, <laughs> yeah. I think... Um, just a comment um, f- from the subway chase down to this point there's a lot Messy. of sort of um, um, sort of false leads almost like it kind of builds to yeah. a uh, you know sort of builds to a final showdown and then that ends in a dud it kind of builds to another one and then that ends in a dud um, and then it's hard to lose the film around this patch because it's just doing things yeah like hopping from place to place and you're a bit like you just have to kind of cling on for that bit of sort of 15-20 minutes of film and hope you get yeah. Work out what's going on on the other side. Yeah, exactly. So having said that, I did actually enjoy the final showdown because um, uh, Jack and Reggie go into the girls' flat. They basically uh, break in, right? There is a standoff between Reggie and Billy, um, which ends up Reggie yeah. shooting Billy. And just to pause on that for a moment, that's actually quite a good scene because, again, Billy, um, Sonny Landon, he does a lot in that scene without saying mm. a word, like just his mm. pure presence there. I think, is he actually brandishing a knife? knife. Uh, yeah. And Fucking just, big knife. Um, <laughs> huge knife, right? There is, you know, there's just something about uh, Sonny Landon and knives, right? Um, but uh, yeah, and he has this really devilish green and grin and um, uh, Reggie is, you know, he looks terrified, like he's shaking and, uh, you, know, yeah. he, you know, he's clearly terrified uh, of Billy, right? I like that Reggie blows him away there pretty quickly, like blam, shots yeah. to the chest. And the reason I like it is because I think this film is very good at kind of grounding itself mm-hmm. in, a, in a in a kind of reality. It never tries stretching things too far, apart from possibly the busing. But um, I like that uh, you know in this moment Billy is vulnerable. He's on the bed. He's got no top on. He's like half naked. All he's got is a knife, and Reggie is there with a, a fucking big revolver. And a lot of films would have got got Billy out of this situation and there'd have been some kind of judo or kung fu and then it would have turned into a big fight. Hmm. And I like that this film didn't. It's yeah. like, clearly Reggie is the guy with power here. Bang! That's it. Yeah. 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 
Nice and, and simple, yeah. Yeah, and it's and it's quite a balancing act because it could have felt like they were just trying to rush to the end, but it actually does, it actually sort of does carry some meaning. Uh, this it's also kind of stripping Gans off his, you know, uh, his savior, uh, really. His pop up uh, guy. Yeah, his pop up guy. Someone say, "Here's Billy." Here's Billy. And then they uh, chase uh, Albert Gans out of the flat and into these. Um, Grimy, narrow, neon-soaked, uh, foggy. Um, yeah. Uh, they leave San Francisco and run into Blade Runner. They yeah. do actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a little bit of a stylish shift, but I really like it. And again, yeah, it's fucking amazing. They're doing a lot of ca- sort of camera tricks and sort of you know, um, you know, not. Was it like they're not really? You're never really sure who's actually looking at who and who's actually chasing who and who sees yeah. who run. Uh, kind of run where so it becomes a very almost like a hall of mirrors type yes thing. exactly you right. know there's people in there and you know there's a predator yeah and like a, a prey but you're not really sure who's in charge there's a scene there's a shot in here that i really loved um so just to kind of set the scene you know, as as we said they're, they're running through this kind of maze of you know hazy backlit alleyways everyone's alleyways, kind yeah. of thrown into silhouette it's really hard to kind of see who's who and gans gets the drop on reggie and takes him hostage uh, and then from around the corner, you get uh, Kate. And there's this amazing shot of Kate. He's sort of stood in the alleyway. He's backlit by this hazy blue light. You can't see his face. And the shot is split in half. So you've got him in this, this hazy blue light. And the other half is this very dark, almost red, um, kind of, you know, very contrasted part. It's like that a neon whole, sign, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. And that whole shot to me felt like it it kind of culminated everything we've been talking about, about how this film is a film of, of contrasts. Like it's suddenly you've got blue and red, the division between light and good. You, it's also almost a division between possibly his, his thoughts or feelings right now. He could essentially just shoot Reggie and Gans if he wanted to, mm. you know, there's almost like he's making a choice there. Is he now friends enough with Reggie or does he respect him enough to allow him to live? So it's almost kind of reflecting the choice he's making for himself as mm. well. I've just felt that whole, shot almost culminated Symbolic. a lot of yeah it, yeah it brought in all of these elements what's funny i've actually got that that screenshot on my desktop right now and i was going to share it with you guys it's oh, yeah. such a good shot i also it? actually i took yeah. a picture of the scene because it was so stylish yeah. i was like yeah yeah, yeah it's yeah. really cool and it's also yeah. just um there's this weird kind of eerily calmness in jack's face like you know he's mm-hmm. just pure determined you know he's been hunting albert gans here for the past yeah well 48 48 hours hours, right (laughs) (laughs) and he's finally sort of you know he's finally sort of met his um you know sort of um you know sort of cornered his prey and you do get against this kind of sense of western you know kind of um you know showdown uh yeah standoff yeah uh, exactly and then um it just come you know just comes down to who actually shoots first and uh Jack shoots first, nearly, yeah. nearly hitting What, what I like about this as well is that um, this film is very good at showing the power of guns. Yeah. And, and I know that sounds silly, but a lot of films, you know, you're just blasting and shooting and people take bullets to the legs and the arm. But in this, like, every single gunshot is really fucking loud and you mm. can almost feel the kick of this gun. Mm. And when the bullets hit people, that's it. Mm. It's visceral. Like, yeah. Yeah, you're hit, bang, dead. And th- I like that this one ended with a, a, just a fucking good gunshot. Yeah. And Gans is like, I'm hit. Yeah, and he drops, I can't and believe like, it. Yeah. I got hit. Yeah, yeah. we don't yeah. need to drag it out. It's like, bang. That's yeah. what he should have done in the in the hotel scene in the beginning. Like, yeah. Instead yeah. of giving him <laughs> yeah. his gun, he should have just like popped him. Yeah. yeah. I think it's also maybe sort of slightly symbolic of the, sort of the, 
I don't know, learning or the character arc that Jack goes, uh, goes through because in the hotel, you know, he wasn't sure what's, uh, you know, what's Gans going to do and, you know, can I take the shot? And he, through chasing him, realizes that Gans just needs to be put down, you know, no matter what. So any mm -hmm. kind of collateral, but he needs to be put down. And this is the risk that he takes uh, with this final shot, uh, I think. And then, yeah, Reggie's in the way, but, you know, what's the old, you know, what's the alternative that Gans goes, you know, Gans gets away uh, again. So I think it's sort of, he's made up his mind, like, you know, whatever happens, I need to stop Gans right here, right now. Mm -hmm. The decisive moment. The decisive mm -hmm. moment, indeed. I got hit! I don't believe it! I got shot! You're done. End of story. You! Yeah. Mm. Uh, and yeah. Gans is dead. Um, goes down in a, in a hail of bullets. <laughs> um, again, with this really surprised look on his face. Um, and uh, yeah, we come to the end of 48 hours. Uh, but there's one last thing that needs to be resolved uh, first, because uh, Reggie still needs to get some action of his own, right? So <laughs> Jack, being the good mate that he is, actually takes him back to... Uh, the nightclub where this girl is still patiently waiting for him. Uh, don't know how or why. Um, but uh, he then uh, waits downstairs while Reggie goes up and has his moment uh, of bliss, uh, hopefully. Um, and uh, he says goodbye to the girl. He's, you know, he's actually sort of, you know, being quite nice about it and saying that, you know, once I get out, you know, um, you know, let's meet up again. Uh, yeah, well, he then, says that, but like, will he? he but does he mean it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> does he mean it? Yeah. Um, and then... Um, uh, yeah, uh, Jack takes him, Reggie, back to prison in Reggie's own car, which I thought, you know, thought was a little bit mean, but uh, hey-ho, you know, his own Cadillac has been, you know, through a shop window. And uh, yeah, that's the end of uh, the movie uh, there. So, yeah. yeah. How, so Great how movie. do you then feel about sort of the whole experience now, sort of having gone through it? Do you know, I, it's a really, really funny one for me because there is a lot about this film that I don't necessarily like which i've discussed you know the the mm. misogyny the the sexism the homophobia the racism but it's such a good fucking film it really is like, i really enjoyed so it too. Good. it's unreal <laughs> like it's just so violent and dark and crime ridden and like it it hits the tone perfectly talking of the tone yeah. right so i was watching it and all the way through it i was fucking loving the cinematography mm. like mm. It just feels so grounded. You can almost smell the streets. Do you know what I mean? You can feel the force, the weapons, everything is just so amazingly shot. And then that uh, Chinatown scene happens at the end and it goes neon. And I was like, right, I've got, I've got to research this cinematographer. Who the fuck is this? And it's a guy called Rick Waite who has sadly passed away now. But I went to his IMDb and in 1982, he did 48 Hours. And in 1986, he did Cobra which on this podcast mm. oh. I gave a 10 out of 10 wow. and I was lured in because of how aesthetically and stylishly it was shot and it's the same guy in between those films he actually did Footloose as well but I think <laughs> yeah Cobra and 48 Hours it's I, that guy's way of shooting I fucking adore mm. I just I mean, get just this, this that's vibe really cool. from it just on the cinematography as well I, I felt the film in terms of its visual storytelling was really efficient like you, the, the film is quite brisk it, jumps through everything very quickly but you never f once lose any kind of momentum as to where you are and what type of environment this place is it's 
you instantly know what this city feels like. Like yeah. you say, it's grimy, it's dirty. You can smell it, can't you? Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. I think there's also something to be said about how um, you mentioned Dan sort of uh, sort of briskly that the movie does move ahead with a really strong pace. It never seems to get too much ahead of itself. It kind of stumbles a little bit towards the end, like we, um, you know, like we talked about. Like it kind of tries to set up too many final showdowns and not really making good of most of them. But one place, like one scene that I actually think is my favorite scene, and it's and it's not even involving uh, Reggie, but that's this. But that's the scene after the lobby shootout in the police station. Now, this is a one-take scene. It takes about three minutes and seven seconds. And during this time, it quickly establishes the connection between Gantz um, and uh, Luther. It gives Jack a lead uh, to go on, which is Reggie, and off we go. It also establishes Kate as this rogue cop that not many other cops they like. We get some insights into Gantz's uh, psyche, like he's a real animal. He likes shooting cops more than he likes uh, getting laid. And um, you know we have, we just, you know we sort of see the relationship between Kate's and Kehoe, and also the captain, and all of this in the space of th- three minutes in just one take. And I just think there's so much stuff that's going on within that scene, but it's such a vital scene because it be, because it just moves the story on in such an in you know such an efficient manner that I just think it's yeah. you know it's mm. it's an amazing uh, scene really. So I'd like to mention that scene as well because I agree, and I think that scene's cleverly got two layers. There's the front layer that we're watching, which is exactly what you said. It's the story about Kate and Reggie and Gans, and they're, mm. they're sort of leading you into this narrative. But there's a background layer as well that's showing you so much about where they are. Mm. You see um, like criminals being brought in and their heads being bashed on desks. You see prostitutes arguing with people. You see cops walking around everywhere and like the, the hustle and bustle. And that scene is amazing. Yeah, the, yeah. these two layers where watch this one and we'll tell you the narrative, see the background, and we're going to set the entire tone for where we are, it's, it's really, really well shot. Exactly. Side, if you don't pay attention during the scene, you're going to be really confused for the rest of the movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this, but it's this also is the key scene, yeah. it also kind of strikes a really clear balance because it's not trying to overload you with too much information, uh, right? So it's you know, uh, I've gone in and I think rewatched this particular scene. I think maybe three or four times now, and I keep on finding sort of new things, like you, um, you know, like you said, uh, Leon, uh, in the background, like stuff that's happening, uh, and also just how they present the different information. You know, not too much and not too little. You know, so sort of just enough yeah. so that you feel that you know what's going to happen next and where and you know where Jack needs to, uh, you know, uh, where Jack needs to go. And yeah, I mean, I'm in general like I'm a sucker for for these long uh, one-take scenes. And I think this is, uh, this is a great one. The, I think what this film does show, like not just with that scene, but with quite a lot of them, is that the people, the team, the crew working on this are fucking great. Yeah. Like they all seem to be working well together, like from the actors to the, you know, the, the film crew, the cinematographer, the director, the sound. It's just, it's big, it's powerful and it, it's deep. Just on that, um, the film had a, a you know, a smorgasbord of writers attached to it, even Stephen E. D'Souza, who wrote Commando. Uh, but there was a guy called uh, Larry Gross who came onto the project quite late, and he wasn't even sure he was going to get a writing credit on the film because he came on so late, but he was very instrumental working directly with Walter Hill to, to write this film. Um, but he, I don't know if you guys came across this in your research for them, but he actually uh, published a diary called The 48-Hour Diaries, and it basically gives an insight into the what the film was like when it was being filmed. And the actual source where this place was published, I think it was uh, the Hollywood Reporter. Uh, they no longer list it. Uh, it's it's got a four hundred four error now. Um, but I found a website that had just a couple of 
outtakes, uh, which, you know, from, from his diaries. And it sounded like a really interesting film to work on. Uh, Leon, like you say, you know, there were a lot of the cast, sorry, the crew, were here you know, to come from lots of, you know, really big projects and we're all talking about the next big project that they were going to do you know these guys were veterans who've, who've you know their career is hollywood you know uh, but it was quite interesting to uh, read about just some of the uh, general kind of uh, feeling behind the film there was all sorts of stuff you know like shit talking spielberg um <laughs> he, who like, was get making, over yourself <laughs> yeah. well he, he was making et i believe at the time and, and also working on um poltergeist uh, and they were talking about whether the, he was going to be the next big director or not, uh, which is quite interesting. That's um, a bet you want to put money on, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and it's just it was quite interesting, just uh, kind of getting some of the dynamic between the, the crew and the the cast as well. So, for example, um, uh, Raymar, who who played uh, Gans, um, I don't know if it was a product of him not getting much sleep or not, but he seemed very um, concerned about his safety a lot of the time. Uh, and would Probably constantly because he was complain. partnering up with Sonny Landon. Paranoid. <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah. He would constantly complain that people just didn't give a shit about him. Uh, and Walter Hill yeah. was like, oh, he's a faker. He does this all the time. Oh, he's a bit of a bit of a prima donna and stuff. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite an interesting read. I, I totally recommend trying to uh, track down some of the, the diaries and just yeah. kind of get an insight into the what the film was like to be, to be shot. Just a little thing worth mentioning as well, while you're on that topic that I think is probably worth mentioning for anyone who's listening and don't know we've mentioned walter hill a few times i mean this guy did the warriors mm. then he did 48 hours then he went on to be producer for aliens in 86 and alien 3 i mean that guy had a pretty fucking solid career like the yeah. warriors and this are awesome mm. he um again going back to the diaries as well and saying about larry gross not getting a writing credit he actually later approached uh i think it was one of the guilds or something and basically said i i want to put my credit forth as part of a writing team with Larry Gross and it's important he gets a writing credit. So he, he sacrificed his, yeah, nice. essentially his writer's credit to give the, the co-partnership. There. When you get to the start of the film, I did notice it, it introduces the writers as one of the early credits and there's four people on screen at the same time, yeah. mm. which is yeah. quite rare. Mm. And this also leads to a little bit of interesting trivia because um, like you hopefully remember, uh, I teased that there's a very thin connection to James Bond. Yeah, I, I didn't know what it was. Yeah, uh, it. Th there is actually two, which I've uh, which I've just found out. But the one that I had in mind was that one of the writers is called Rogers Bottiswood, um, and he is actually the director of Tomorrow Never Dies, which is the second Pierce Brosnan-led uh, James James Bond movie, uh, which I thought was an interesting bit of uh, bit of trivia. The other connection, which I just recently found out, is that um, Frank McRae, who plays Captain Hayden, uh, is also in a James Bond movie. He's in License to Kill, where he plays Sharky, who's one of uh, Bond's kind of... Um, uh, mates, uh, he unfortunately gets killed uh, off screen in quite in kind of a in kind of a kind of a gruesome way. But that is what essentially sets James Bond also out on his uh, vendetta uh, against right. a local uh, drug kingpin uh, in that movie. Uh, so yeah, two connections actually. So there you go. Interesting. Mm. Uh, another little bit of not maybe it's trivia. I don't know. Did you guys see who else was considered for these roles? Because Nick Nolte and Eddie Murphy were not. Um, at all yeah. at the top of the list. Is it, uh, Clint yeah. Eastwood or no, Clint Eastwood? Yeah, so we have Clint Eastwood. Uh, well, for Kate's, we also had Mickey Rourke, mm. Sylvester Stallone, <laughs> Burt Reynolds, and Jeff Bridges were all considered for Kate's. And anyone there you think would have made a better Kate's? I think Jeff Bridges would have been interesting, but I yeah. really like Nick Nolte uh, in this role. Yeah. You know, he's got the. 
you know, he's got the, you know, the physical presence. He's got the growliness of it. And I also think he's got that sort of, you know, slightly redeeming quality about him. Like, you know, he softens up against uh, Reggie later on in the movie. So I don't think I would have made any switches. Uh, there. Yeah. I feel nice. like Clint Eastwood would have been the closest to playing that hard-head, grizzled. Yeah, mm. he would. Do you know the only thing I think about that, though? I don't think Clint Eastwood needs he doesn't, a partner. He's dirty Harry. And he's, he's dirty Harry, yeah, he can go alone. So. Yeah. And then for um, Reggie, we also had Richard Pryor or Denzel Washington, but they both turned it down. I could see potentially working with Richard Pryor, but again, I don't think that he would have been able to come off as this kind of hard man type, you know, con man conflict uh, with a mission like of its own. I think Eddie Murphy, again, is really solidly cast uh, in this. And I think Richard Pryor would have got the comedy. Yeah. yeah. Imagine yeah. him trying to do that good old boy bar scene yeah. where you're meant yeah. to take him seriously as this guy that controls it. Just yeah. I couldn't well, see com- it out. Conversely, I couldn't see Denzel no. Washington carrying the comedic side either. I don't <laughs> think he's a... Or being subservient yeah. to <laughs> oh, yeah. like a, yeah. a lead. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, good Nick Nolte and yeah. Edgy Murphy works. All right. All right. So Scores. Uh, yeah. Scores, yeah. What do we think? Um, let's dive straight in. Uh, anyone want to take the plunge? Bjorn, why don't you yeah, start? Yeah, okay, I'll go. I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's a solid, uh, solid seven for me. Um, I liked it. Uh, I like the the grit. The I like the dialogue as well between uh, Nick Nolte and Eddie Murphy. Um, like when you watch this film, like you know, there's all all these body cop tropes that you've so you know you you kind of know what you you know uh because you've seen it so many times but if you you know if you think about that this was actually the first one it was actually quite i guess groundbreaking in that way um but because you've seen it so many times it, it doesn't feel that fresh uh, mm. but yeah no it's you know it's entertaining i'll definitely watch it again and uh, i'll probably watch the sequel as well yeah, I uh, don't. Apparently, it's absolutely fucking dreadful. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I would dis- disagree. I, I, I think it's a worthy sequel. Um, okay. So, uh, well, yeah. I read one uh, interesting trivia about the sequel. Is obviously by that time Eddie Murphy was a star, and so his paycheck for for uh, forty eight hours was only like a couple hundred thousand, while Nick Nolte's was uh, a cool million. Uh, but for the sequel, uh, they paid uh, Eddie Murphy like seven million and only three million for Nick Nolte. So I think only that three kind million. Of- <laughs> I think it kind of harkens back a little bit to what I said at the beginning of the podcast as well. When I went into this film with the expectation it was going to be an Eddie Murphy vehicle and it wasn't because he wasn't a big star at that point and possibly another 48 hours then becomes an Eddie Murphy vehicle. It's just, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I believe they also reversed the, the the billing as well. So he then became the more prominent star for that film and it's probably well, he was a superstar more, by then. Exactly, yeah. and it'll have more of the comedy tone and it's he's owning that film and that goes back to what I mentioned earlier about him not taking control. Uh, What's the score? Uh, do, you, do you want to keep going down with your score? <laughs> um, I, yeah, I'd give this a solid eight, I think. Um, like I said, I went into this with the expectation it would be an Eddie Murphy vehicle and that it would be this balls to the wall, you know, buddy cop comedy. And actually I was completely surprised at how visceral and how gritty and dirty this film felt. And it, as Jesper correctly said at the end of our Masters of the Universe episode, he said it was going to take us back to basics. And that's what we have initially took this podcast on to do was to look at these hard edged, you know, uh, gritty eighties films. So, and I've, I felt that like this film does embody that. So yeah, it was cool. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give it an eight as well, actually. I, I, 
I do have a lot of negatives. I think it's a mean film. It's got dislikable characters. You know, it can be racist, homophobic, misogynistic. I was never really sure how much of that was intentional by script and how much of it is just because it was an era where some of these things weren't frowned upon. But it's it's hard hitting. And what I really like about this film is it's got a fuck you attitude. Mm. It's like, do you know what I mean? Mm. So I think if you can look past how look past how unacceptable some of it is it's this mean gritty nasty crime thriller with great cast great violence you know it's good fun worth watching eight from me really enjoyed it even though there's a lot that i don't want to enjoy but yeah great film yeah uh i'm uh uh i'm very much with you fellas uh, as well like this is a solid eight for me uh, as well i remember this as being a grimy edgy and sort of quite brutal and it still is i'm actually quite surprised how well it stands up to modern day action thrillers um and I would say action thriller, because again, this isn't really a comedy. And I think if you go into this expecting to see a comedy, you are going to get a bit disappointed because this is much more of an action thriller with some laughs in there. A lot of them carried by Andy Murphy. Um, uh, I also think it really shows just how solid a director that Walter um, that Walter Hill uh, is. Um, and on a more sort of general note uh, around that, I'm very happy that we've just discussed our first Walter Hill movie because I'm quite a fan uh, of his. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think his movies has this stylish the f- brutality to them. We um, did Commando. Wasn't that Walter Hill? No. Was that Walter Hill? No, that wasn't Walter it's Hill. It's not Walter Hill. With the... Okay. Let's no, cut no. it out. No. <laughs> no, we'll leave it in, Bjorn. Yeah. We'll leave it in. <laughs> it's going to be following you forever but, and ever. But the, so the steel drums is, is that... Uh... So the steel drums is James Horner. Um, ah, okay. So Composer. who is actually quite notorious for reusing parts of his previous soundtracks in um, in other movies. Like he used part of the Aliens soundtrack in Patriot Games uh, as well. So, um, um, But... Steel drums, they sound really awesome. Uh, should have them in every film. He, he, yeah, yeah. He really should. I think that's Jesper's yeah. review. Steel drums. Steel drums, exactly. <laughs> yeah, solid eight. It, um, solid eight. it had steel drums. Um, but no, uh, like I was saying, uh, I am quite a, f- a fan of Walter Hill. He's got this kind of stylish brutality uh, to his movies. Um, Leon, you mentioned that you know, things sound really heavy, like the guns and, you know, the deaths and, you know, the squibs and the blood and everything like that. It's got this really uncompromising, grimy kind of heaviness to them. Um, and it just makes it look really stylish uh, and feel really stylish. So I would certainly hope that this is not the last uh, Walter Hill movie that we'll be discussing uh, on this it podcast. It isn't going to be. No. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely no chance. That's good. Just before we move off the film as well, uh, I wanted to just drop, there is actually a, a Hindi remake of this film called Andar Bahar <laughs> no in 1984. Oh, wow. So it could be a good one to cover Sorry, and contrast. One more time, what's it called? Andar Bahar. Oh, okay, okay. Andar Bahar. <laughs> I'd like, to, I'd like to see uh, how, how it translates the, the grimy meanness of San Francisco yeah. to, to India. That yeah, that the streets of Dubai or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, sorry, not Dubai. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so close. So yeah, close. So far. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I'll assume you meant Delhi. <laughs> yes, I did. Thank you. <laughs> Good save there. <laughs> oh, hold on. I'm jumping in there. Fucking segue. Right. Our next film. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. I've decided for the next film, we keep talking about action heroes and lately we've watched a lot of um, uh, sort of, I think you mentioned it well earlier, yes, but these kind of films that are going from the 70s into the 80s. So I thought, all right, let's really define the 80s. Let's pick a fucking superstar from the 80s. So for our next film, we are going to watch Indiana Jones and the <gasps> Temple of Doom. Oh, again, the yeah. 80s action hero out. 
Yes, um, I is. thought everyone does, you. you know everyone knows Raiders is amazing everyone knows Last Crusade is amazing but Temple of Doom is almost frowned upon in that trilogy a little bit <laughs> so let's do Temple of Doom Temple of Doom was my childhood favourite of the series oh yeah same here I, I loved here. it I actually saw <laughs> Temple of traps, Doom first right. before I saw Raiders um, so I kind of got I think I probably did as well actually. yeah my kids haven't seen Raiders yet we've done Temple of Doom and we've done Crusade but I haven't done Raiders yet just Which because of the end of Raiders version of Temple of Doom though because there are two diff- different versions there's the wait there's more than one version so there's mm-hmm. the lighter kind of tv version um oh. which cuts no, no, some of the version. grimy bits in the temple and then there's the full i want to see the heart pulled from the chest yes. yeah we did that version we did that <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay look before, before we wrap up this is out to our listeners what i want to ask you all please like if you really like our podcast we love doing this and we want to keep doing this it's we, we need to try and you know for us there are a lot of overheads to this and we want to try and raise our game a bit and really feel like we're achieving something all I ask, we we put in this effort. We're not ever going to charge anyone. We don't want to make money off it. Can our listeners please go and write us a little review or at least rate us and try and help us with our rankings on the podcast stores? I don't think people listening realise, but us being able to rank better actually helps us a lot. You know, it gets us a few more listens. It helps us achieve more things. So if you do listen to this, if you do enjoy this, please just go and give us like a few stars on you know, whatever store you get it from, write us a little review or something. We'd we'd really appreciate it. It would help a lot. And if not, we'll, we'll have uh, Jasper doing more ads in the middle of the episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, Just on that, I want to give a, a little shout out to Mum's mate, Chris, for uh, dropping us a really nice review. Uh, Yay, thank you very Chris. Much. Go Chris. Really nice one, Chris. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. <laughs> All right. Maybe Chris, friend of the show. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That, let's wrap it up. Let's yep. wrap it up. Wrap. Cheers, guys. Uh, thank you very much. And uh, see you next time for Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Booyah. Yeah. <laughs> see ya. <laughs>